You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, dear friends, great to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight. And right now, today, somewhere in the world, making disciples of the nation. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks, great to have you with us. Listen, I I am uh, very excited about uh, what's going on in my life this week because uh, it's graduation uh, time for our seminary, which means a lot of things, uh, not the least of which... Uh, tomorrow we give away a, well, it's very much earned, so we're not really giving it away, but we're honoring a guy named John Perkins. I don't know if you know who John Perkins is. If you don't, you probably should. He's written bunches and bunches of books. He's a ma- major American evangelical, um, has served on all the major boards of major Christian organizations in this country. And uh, one of the things he did was come down and devote his life to making a very hard community work in the middle of Jackson, Mississippi. Now, if you know anything about Jackson, Mississippi, it's a rough place, uh, particularly the inner city. And John Perkins says, not scared of it. I'm going to plot myself down in the middle of it and make good of it. And so that's kind of how he spent his life. He's an older man now and uh, well worth us saying, listen, uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow, but you've been one of our blessings. I remember reading a book about him years ago. Uh, there's a couple of his early books. First book I, I think he ever wrote was Let Justice Roll Down. Then there was a book, I think this is the second one, called With Justice for All. And it talked about an episode of his life in 1970. And I remember reading this in the mid-80s. And I said to my wife at the time, and we were in Kansas at the time, at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas. And I said to my wife, after I read this account, sweetheart, there's two places in the world we're never going to live. One of them is California, and one of them is Mississippi. And I said the Mississippi thing because of this account. I'm just going to read it to you. Is that okay? Uh, It's from the book With Justice for All by John Perkins. The, The context and the backdrop is this. He has been working... Uh, on civil rights in Mississippi, which, as most people remember, was a very tough place to work for civil rights. Uh, but he's he's having some really good progress, particularly uh, through the church and through making disciples of young men that are going to rise up and be leaders for years to come. And this happened on a Saturday, February 7th, about 1970. He says about 6.30 p.m. And uh, he was at Tougaloo College uh, and was asked to come uh, by some of his friends to the Brandon Jail because apparently some of his guys were in the Brandon Jail and they wanted John Perkins to go poke his nose in there to find out what's going on with the guys because it couldn't have been good. And so he is asked to go to the Brandon Jail and I'm just going to read this thing to you. Uh, This is with Justice for All. During the 45-minute drive up Highway 49, my mind churned. Why had the policeman let Luis go? To call me? 
Was it a trap? Was another ambush waiting for us on Highway 49? Well, we got to the county courthouse and jail, and a highway patrolman showed us where to park. We had met no ambush on the highway. We got out of the car and told the patrolman we'd like to see the sheriff. Okay, he said, you stay here, and I'll go tell him you're here. Moments later, out of the building came not Sheriff Edwards, but a dozen highway patrolmen. They searched us, arrested us, and even before they got us to the building, started beating us. It was an ambush after all. Inside the jailhouse, the nightmare only got worse. At least five deputy sheriffs and seven to 12 highway patrolmen went to work on us. Sheriff Edwards joined in. Here's how I described the scene later in the courtyard, or excuse me, in the court trial. And this is John Perkins. When I got to the jail, I saw the people in jail. Of course, I was horrified as to why we were arrested. And when I got in the jail, Sheriff Jonathan Edwards came over to me right away and said, this is the smart nigger and this is a new ball game. You're not in Simpson County now, you're in Brandon. And he began to beat me. And from that time on, they continued beating me. I was just beat to the floor and just punched and really beaten. Menorce Odom, one of the two glue students there, testified that Sheriff Edwards beat me so hard that his shirt tail came out. During the beatings, I tried to cover my head with my arms, but they beat me anyway till I was lying on the floor. Even then, they just kept on beating and stomping me, kicking me in the head, in the ribs, in the groin. I rolled up into a ball to protect myself as best I could, and the beating just went on and on. It got worse as the night wore on. One officer brought a fork over to me and said, do you see this? And he jammed it up my nose. Then he crammed it down my throat. Then they beat me to the ground again and stomped on me. Because I was unconscious a lot of the time, I don't remember a whole lot about the others. I do know that Doug and some of the students were beaten and that Curry probably suffered the most of any of us. And I remembered their faces. It was like looking at white-faced demons. For the first time, I saw what hate had done to those people. These policemen were poor. They saw themselves as failures. The only way they knew how to find a sense of worth was by beating us. Their racism made them feel like somebody. And when I saw that, I just couldn't hate back. I could only pity them. And I said to God that night, God, if you will let me get out of this jail alive, and I really didn't think I would. Maybe I was just trying to bargain with him. If you'll just let me get out of this jail alive, I really want to preach a gospel that will heal these people too. <laughs> Folks, if you're getting beat within an inch of your life, do you think that you have a close enough relationship with Jesus that you would look at the people beating you and think, I want to pray for them. I want to preach to them. They're not what Jesus wants them to be. I want to lead them to God. Are those the thoughts that would come into your brain? Because I got to confess, I can't imagine it would have happened to me that way had I been in the same situation. So we give an honorary doctorate to John Perkins tomorrow, and I am thrilled that we're doing it. In large measure, that means I get to get close to the guy, and I love to get close to folks that are filled with the mercy of God, just so maybe some of it can rub off on me. 
I mean, what a beautiful situation we're going to find ourselves in. What I get to do, because John Perkins is going to get the doctorate, he's going to say a few words, but in all likelihood, he won't say those words. And so with John Perkins sitting right behind me, as I speak to the graduates tomorrow, because I get to give the commencement address. And as I give that commencement address, I get to tell those students this story and talk about the greatness of God through John Perkins. And to say that with the hope that maybe it could happen with us too, as the days go grow darker in America, and maybe, just maybe, the mercy of God could fill us so much that when we are bumped in days ahead by persecution, by hard times, by people laughing at us or spitting on us or making fun of us, when that happens, we will spill out, filled to the brim, we will spill out the mercy of God. And maybe through that kind of trouble, that kind of tough times, there could be a revival that might be able to start here in America because of that dynamic. I'm thrilled about what's going to happen tomorrow and uh, just wanted to let you know a little bit about that. Listen, one of our sponsors for the program today is Wesley Biblical Seminary. Folks, I've taught here in this school for 34 years, one of the best seminaries in the world and a place where you can come and check out the various wonderful things we can offer you. We've got a lay program called the Wesley Institute, our undergraduate program. Yep, we got a college you need to discover and our master's programs. We even got a doctorate program, a DMIN program, really something for all serious disciples, all serious disciples. So check it out at wbs.com. E-D-U. That's W-B-S dot E-D-U. Okay, let's turn the corner now, and I'm delighted, uh, as always, to have a friend in with me to talk about some discipleship principles, and today we're going to do Judges. Now, you think, whoa, 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 Judges? There's a lot of interesting data in Judges. So I thought, who better to ask in to help me today than my friend Dr. Dave Schreiner, who is the professor of Old Testament at my school, Wesley Biblical Seminary. Dave, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. This is number two. This is the second one. And your first one was? Numbers. 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 Book of Numbers. So hopefully we won't be boring again. That's number one. Oh, you were not boring. Okay, well, that's good. Hopefully we're not boring. And um, as you've already mentioned, this is an interesting book when you come to asking about discipleship principles. Utterly fascinating book. And uh, and so when we talk about discipleship lessons, this is one of those books where you could probably put in 20 discipleship lessons out of here. Or you could say the whole thing's a wash. What a terrible history. Well, let's not cover it at all. Yeah, and that, and that's actually where I'm going to go. I'm going to because I would I would actually argue that the discipleship principles here we have to kind of go the opposite of what we read because Judges is a really nasty book and it and it takes us to some really bad places, particularly at the end. And so when you talk about positive discipleship principles, you almost have to think in terms of okay, do the opposite. And we'll get into that. We'll get into that. It's really interesting. It's an interesting conversation to have about this particular. All right, let's do this thing. So we're doing discipleship lessons as we always do. We're going to try to be uh, doing a podcast long enough. (laughs) It might might take a couple of years, but we'd like to get through all 66 books of the Bible. Right. right. And so there's a lot to share here. So the, the five discipleship principles out of the book of Judges. And David, I want to remind you here, our listeners are very practical people. Yes. So they want to apply this to oh, their lives. Absolutely. So don't get, you know, all scholarship on them. I have to, I'll try not to. Use the best of scholarship for practical people. I, I understand that. All right, so Dave Schreiner here with us on discipleship principle number one out of the book of Judges. So the book of Judges opens up with a question. And the question is, is who's going to lead us? 
That's what it, that's what Israel's asking themselves in Judges chapter one. And so I think where we need to start from a discipleship principle standpoint is that we need to commit ourselves to times of transition. Hmm. And and when I say commit ourselves to time of transition, we don't try to avoid them. They're inevitable. We're all going to encounter times of transition, whether it's a transition within the discipleship groups that we have or a transition in life. But we need to not run away from it and we need to con- commit ourselves to those times of transition. Now, and this kind of sets up the book of Judges because Judges um, opens up with this time of transition. There's a question of transition, a question of leadership, who is going to be our leader essentially is what they're asking. And as the book unfolds, we're going to see how this question is answered. And again, as I've already alluded to, it's not very pretty, but from a standpoint of discipleship, we have to be committed to engaging this time of transition and we have to be committed to um, uh, 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 doing those moments and those phases of transition well. Um, and so in the book of Judges, we're going to see how they don't do it so well. Okay. I love that. I love that point. There are going to be transitions in our life. And as we make those transitions, we've got to be very uh, eyes open, ears open, heart open to what Jesus wants to do because they actually did a lousy job here. Let's put this in context, just in case someone is listening and might not know the book of Judges as well as you do, David. We're, we're, we're in the land of promise. They yes. actually seize the promised right. land. They're inside the land of promise. Right. They've settled down. They're starting to uh, plow and reap and sow and uh, build their houses. They're all settled in now. But it says here right on the outskirts of this book is almost immediately after Joshua's gone, they did evil on the side of the Lord. And that's where the that's where the commitment when you engage, in my opinion, when you when you engage these times of transitions, these inevitable times in your life, you have to be willing to remember. And remember what the Lord has done for you, how he has provided for you. And in Judges chapter one, we're told very immediate very quickly, almost immediately, that they that they that they um they stray away. And they get themselves into trouble. And as the book unfolds, we realize that they're failing to remember the salvific actions of God on their behalf. And and this is where it's getting them into trouble. Now, that Old Testament word for remember is really remember and do accordingly. Yes. Right? It's a covenantal idea. It's not just a, hey, yeah, we got that thought in our mind. It ought to order your actions. It's a cognitive awareness that manifests itself in day-to-day actions. And I just want to say to the listening audience here, you, you may well be going through a time of transition right now. And by the way, usually that means a time of stress. Yes, absolutely. Transition is Anxiety. Stress and stress, for some of us, it's hard to concentrate on the Lord. Yes, absolutely. Because you have so many things that are that are crowding, clouding your mind and, and, and crowding inside your head. And this is where remembrance really becomes important. And when you read through the book of Deuteronomy, there is a reoccurring theme, and that's the covenantal document, the book of Deuteronomy. There's this reoccurring theme of remember. We remember what God has done so that we can face the future. All right. Discipleship principle number one for the book of Judges from uh, Dave Schreiner is commit yourselves to positive times of transition. Concentrate on the Lord. Yeah. Remember and do well. Yeah. Number two, um, eradicate the things that prevent the effective action of God. So here's here's what I'm talking about. This. So there are judges that have some serious problems. Mm. They have some personality. Tra- uh, uh, they have some personality traits that are uh, less than ideal. We could say they're problematic. So, for instance, when we're first introduced to Gideon, when we're first introduced to Gideon, we're told that that Israel is being oppressed by the Midianites, and he's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Now, 
a little a little cultural a culture and history imagery for you when you thresh wheat and you're dealing with wheat one of the things you do the process of it is that you literally throw the wheat in the air the wind catches all the chaff and blows it away and then what falls back down on the threshing floor is the good stuff okay now if you are doing that in the bottom of a wine press where's the wind coming from you're below ground so he's fearful he's performing his day-to-day business and he's scared of his context. And so, and this is a, this is a, this is a quality of fear that Gideon is going to have to deal with on a reoccurring basis. Gideon's also the guy that's like, eh, you know, God, if you really want me to do this, I got this fleece here. Okay. And why don't you give me a sign using this fleece? Oh, okay. Okay. That's good. But let's try it again here because you know, I'm not quite convinced Gideon deals with fear and he, and he, and that fear prevents him from acting accordingly. And, and in fact, when he goes and destroys the Asherah, he does so at night because he's afraid of the townspeople. Mm. So that prevents God's actions from being as effective as they possibly could. Samson has moral failings. Samson gets himself into problems because of his moral failings. Now, God still works. Don't get me wrong. God still works, but there's a nagging question where these personality traits, these negative personality traits— are potentially hindering the actions of the Lord. And I think this is a very good discipleship. Discipleship is about, you know, f- becoming spiritually mature and forming ourselves spiritually. And if we identify things in our lives that are a part of our personality or tendencies within our lives that can negatively impact what God wants to do in us and through us, then a good discipleship program will seek to identify those things and then eradicate those things, get them out of our lives. Real quick, uh, if you could give me a list of three to five things that we might be wise to look at in our lives to eradicate for a greater faithfulness, what would oh, I think, to mind? I think fear and anxiety is one of them. Mm-hmm. When we face these times of transition, when we face the uncertainty, as you've already mentioned, stress goes up, our uncertainty goes up, and that cripples us. Um, and I believe that that goes all the way back, that idea of anxiety it goes all the way back to the fall. Um, I, I think the potential for any side, of, any type of moral failing is always on the horizon. Mm. I think we constantly have to be vigilant about that um, because uh, for a variety. Of, and so I think, yeah, that, that's the thing. Fear, um, uncertainty, uh, the potential of moral failings. Those are the types of things that we have to be highly attuned. Um, uh, jealousy. Um, uh, looking at covetousness, all any, basically you take the 10 commandments and any of those vices on the 10 commandments. I think they're right there. I think those are the things that those are the sins and the vices that crouch at our door. So uh, let me add one. And I'd like to know if you agree with this. Uh, I, for me, when I get anxious or fearful, or I'm worrying, I like to go to, uh, my easy chair and flip on the screen. And uh, the screen could be anything, could be TV, could be Netflix, could be surfing the net, but there's all kinds of really wicked and evil things. Oh, absolutely. And just time wasters, frankly. That's what I tend to do. But boy, I tell you what, you're not far from a time waster to serious sin. I mean- Well, what is the old adage? Uh, An idle mind is the devil's playground. And and, and the reason why it's, there's a lot of truth there. There's a lot of truth there. Disciple principle number three from the book of Judges. Be concerned about the next generation. Now, this is something that Judges doesn't talk about, and I think that we can read between the lines and we can see how this really causes problems. Because with every turn of the cycle, there's never a statement that the judge is concerned, essentially is concerned about the next generation. The, you know, God uses the judge to save his people. There's a time of peace. But then it's almost as if the judge just kind of fades into the background. and 
then the next generation happens and the next cycle happens and then they're back in the same thing again. There is a concern in the book of Judges, it's a latent concern, but it's still there, that these judges, once they do their their business and they and God uses them and they do their thing and they save God's people and, and yay, they just kind of fade to black and then we find ourselves over and over again. There's a generational thing here. It begins, I've already mentioned the time of transition. Who's going to lead us? In a sense, that's an intergenerational thing. Mm -hmm. And so a good leader, a good discipleship person, when you're in a, a discipleship relation, you have to be concerned with what's next. How are you empowering those people mm -hmm. to move on from this discipleship program, to move on from this mentorship, and then go do and make disciples of other people, go and mentor other people? Are you concerned with how you are empowering them to prevent another cycle from happening. Good. One of the things we see on this program is uh, who's discipling you, who are you discipling, but also who are your disciples yeah. discipling, and it's taking the long view of yes, discipleship. I agree. I agree completely. There is a concern in the, and, and, and again, this is a whole part of the covenantal idea. Look, the covenant is concerned. You read through the book of Deuteronomy. It's concerned with teaching your children mm. and your children's children. There is an intergenerational concern here. And I think the book of Judges, in a sense, shows us what happens when we neglect that. Hmm. Discipleship principle number four from the book of Judges. This is a bit obvious, but I think that it's, 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 it's something that we need to recognize. There are cycles in life, positive cycles and negative cycles in life. And um, we have to be willing to identify them, and we have to be willing to deal with them. And so what can we learn from the positive cycles in life? What are the lessons that we learned in those? So I think a good discipleship program uh, is one that allows us to reflect upon life, identify the, the phases, the moments, the cycles in life that are both positive and negative, and learn from them, and then empower ourselves to then empower other people and look and say, essentially, look, this is the lesson. This is the positive lesson I learned in this phase of my life, in this cycle of my life. This is the negative lesson that I've learned in this positive, in this cycle, this, this phase of my life. And this is how I'm going to translate those lessons into real life practical principles that will replicate the positive cycles or avoid the negative cycles. Mm, that's good stuff. One of the things I, uh, we do in our class here at Discipleship in the Home is say, look back at how you were raised. Yes. And there were great things that happened and there may not have been some, and, and, and that's for every parent. Yes. I say the same thing with my kids. Listen, you're going to have to look back on how you were raised. There are going to be some really great things you want to build on. And there's going to be some things you want to correct. And I and I would actually argue and this is the, one of the things that I've I've noticed about the way that I've been parenting my oldest daughter is that there are times when I'll say, Maddie, look, this is what is happening right now, and you need to learn from me because what I see going on right now is exactly what I did or similar to what I did, and this is the lesson that I have learned, and I'm sharing this lesson with you positively or negatively. And, and, and this is what I want you to learn. So again, it's about learning and then empowering. Yeah. The, well, it's yeah. reflecting and yeah. learning from yeah. the reflection. So I, I say that for how you were raised. I say it for marriage. Yes. Uh, who, you know, the marriages you saw before you ever get into a marriage, the marriages you saw that you were close to, particularly your mom and dad, positive things, right. negative things. Let's build on the positive. Let's eradicate the negative. Yeah. And I, what you brought up though is, is really great. And that is think about it yourself. Yeah. Just your own history. Mm -hmm. And there are various things. Yourself and money. Mm -hmm. Yourself and sexuality. Yes. You know, your, yourself and things we've been talking about right here, transitions. Yeah. 
and build on the good things and say, there's some things that haven't happened right. so good. And I can, how do I, how do I, how do I tackle those moments of fear in my life? Those moments of uncertainty? What are the things that I, I look back and okay, that was a moment of genuine anxiety in my life. How did I do? What were the things that kind of creeped up? What, how did I see myself, man? You know, how did, how was that moment of anxiety manifest in my life? What were the habits that I saw come up? The actions that I did, are those good or are those bad? So, yeah. Wow. That, that sounds to me like a great thing for me to think about this summer as I teach that class, Spiritual Direction. Yeah. You know, let's sit down and you need to really reflect on your life and make some decisions here based on that reflection. Good stuff. All right. We're down to number five. You ready to go? I, I am. Number five is supposed to be kind of like the, you know, the apex, the climax, the big deal. And I think I got something for you. Really? Okay. Because right, we're five discipleship principle from the book of Judges. So there's a chorus in the final chapter. So Judges is a just a, a book that just kind of just devolves into chaos. And at the you know chapter 17 through 21, um, that goes into the next section, and that's where things get really dicey and really hairy and really nasty. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. If you've never read those chapters, read it on a full stomach. Because it, 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 it is, it's, you got to have some, some, some lard in your stomach because it's, it's gut wrenching and you got to have a, a, a stable stomach there. Um, there's a reoccurring theme. Everyone, there was no king in Israel and everyone did, essentially there was no king in Israel and everyone did as they saw fit. So yeah, as yeah, so an alternative translation, everyone did what was right, right in their, their own, own eyes. eyes. So it's relativism. It's a statement of relativism. Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's a culture in chaos. Yes, it is. And it, and, and this is this is a statement. That's America. Yeah. This, yeah, this is where I'm going. Um, it's relativism. And so as you're reading through these chapters and you're seeing society just completely implode on itself, the moral fabric of society is gone and everybody's fighting with everybody. There's horrendous actions going on. There's blood everywhere. There's assaults everywhere. It's horrible. It's a horrible mess. And you have this statement of relativism re recurring throughout. And it's the point is, is that relativism is never a secure foundation for anything. For you, your life, your the people around you that you influence, your society, it's never because it's it, there's nothing there. So what's 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 the converse? Scripture, God's word, God's ethos, God's way of life articulated through scripture, through the covenantal idea, whatever however you want to put it. But it's God's revealed truth about the world that has to be the foundation of your life. Right. And that's if that's the foundation then you can begin to tackle these times of transition, these inevitable cycles in life, and you can face those with confidence, knowing full well that you will make it through this negative cycle. You will learn from this negative cycle. You don't have to be as fearful during this time of transition. You may not know who your next mentor is going to be, but that's okay because you have God's word as the foundation for your life, and 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 that is solid. That is going to face that that is going to 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 stand the test of time yep. and so you don't have this wishy wobbly foundation that you're just gonna it's gonna allow everything to implode around you rather it's a solid foundation so i think i think that's i think that's the the final lesson that kind of brings the that, entire book together that brings it all together so uh, real quick just for the laity that are listening to this right now uh give us a, a good idea or two about how to work through that book yeah. What, what's the best way to um, make that happen? And not just a, Hey, I know the stories or I've, right. I've read through it and I read through it every year, but 
what's a more substantial way to really get out of the wood what we need to get? I think that one of the things that we have to understand is that, um, well, you, you have to go with the cycle. You have to begin with the cycle in the book of Judges. And the cycle is when people fell away from God's ideal and they no longer lived according to his way of life, bad things happened. And, and this is when, this is when he sends oppressors because of their sin. This isn't, you know, this, we have to also remember, this isn't God just sending bad things to happen upon his people because, you know, he's in a mood. No, this is the logical reaction of them abandoning God. This is what happens when you abandon God. When you abandon God in God's way of life, you should expect bad things to happen. You should expect bad things to happen around you and, and those types of things. But also the cycle tells us that God hears them. Because the cycle tells us that when the people cried out, God answered. And the way that he answered was that he, send, he sent people into their lives to facilitate salvation. Now, these are crazy people. Some of these people are huge personalities. They're certainly not people that I want my daughters to bring home. I say, hey, Dad, look who I'm dating. I don't want— <laughs> Look I do, who's facilitating my progress I now. do not want Samson walking through my <laughs> door saying, hey, I'm dating your daughter. No, I don't want that you. happening. But these are still people that God uses to yes. facilitate salvation. Good. And we have to be okay with that. But the kicker is, is that they don't learn their lesson. Mm. They don't learn their lesson. And so they go through these cycles and they don't learn the lessons that they're supposed to. And therefore they find themselves in that cycle again. And with every iteration of the cycle, things get worse. So one of the things we recommend when you do Bible study, when you do Bible reading, at the bottom of the page, if you're journaling or at the bottom of your Bible or whatever, say, this is what I need to do with this today. Yeah. Don't just read through it. Obey it. Right. And I, and I think that when you read through these cycles, I think it's a, I think it's a great example of taking inventory upon your life. Yeah. Where, you know, am I learning the lessons That's that good. I'm supposed to learn to? Am I, do I find myself back in this cycle yet again? And if, if so, God forbid, if so, are things getting worse? Is it becoming worse and worse? Is it getting harder to get out of this cycle? Do God's moments of salvation seem to to last a lot? Do, do they not last as long? Is the joy of God's salvation not sticking with me as much? And you got to be honest and you have to be critical in your reflection because if you're saying yes to those things, you're in a heap of trouble. There are, you know, you know, and, and there's going to come a time, the Bible tells us this, there's going to come a time where you are just going to be surrendered to judgment. And we see this with the history of Israel. The Bible tells us that Manasseh comes onto the scene in the, in the book of Second Kings, and that's it. And once Manasseh happens, it doesn't matter what they do. Exile's coming, and they're going to have to live through exile. And it's only after the exile can we, be, we begin to have this conversation again of what's restoration going to look like. So it's a scary thing. And I think that's part of the I think that's part of the the issue with judges. I think it wants to scare us. Yeah. I think it wants to rile us up. I think it wants to kind of hit us in the gut a little bit because the stakes are high. Hey, Shriner, that was that was five great things. Well, I mean, what a great discipleship book. But but you did a great thing for us. Don't follow the examples of these guys. Yeah. Sometimes you can read the Bible and say, do exactly the opposite. Yeah, I think, and I think, yeah, I think that's one of the lessons of judges. Hey, Schreiner, thanks so very much. Hey, buddy.
Thanks for having me on. Professor Dave Schreiner, Old Testament professor here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. All right, it's a wrap. Been an honor to have you listening to Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedman. Check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship. Also, check out our books at Amazon.com. Just type in Matt Friedman into the search engine and see what's offered. And always, always, always tell other people about our podcast. And remember this, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you, and I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. Love God. Live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.